Are you tired of the same old business advice? Welcome to the Liberated CEO Experience, the podcast that's redefining entrepreneurial success one unscripted and candid conversation at a time. Get ready to soak up unfiltered stories of triumph, failure, and everything in between from trailblazers who are rewriting the rules of the game and building thriving businesses on their own terms. So if you're ready to level up your impact, income, and joy, all while staying true to your unique vision, you're in the right place. This is the Liberated CEO Experience. Welcome back, ambitious entrepreneurs and visionary thought leaders. You're tuned in to another transformative episode of the Liberated CEO Experience, the podcast that's all about helping you shatter limitations and elevate your business to new heights. I'm your host, Ty Goodwin, and today we're diving into a topic that's all about leveling up your mindset, create more impact by thinking like a seven-figure entrepreneur. I am honored to have the exceptional J.R. Bird joining us as our special guest for this episode. J. Richard Bird is a highly sought-after consultant, speaker, and business coach specializing in urban marketing, business development, digital marketing, and leadership. He helps businesses and leaders develop their skills to scale their businesses and maintain balance in their lives. The expert that your expert calls when they have questions, people come to him when they are stuck or they need to clarify their vision. As a result, he writes on personal development, leadership, productivity, platform, systems, and publishing. He also throws in a good mix of social media tactics and technology. He provides training, resources, articles for the leader entrepreneur that is looking for a systematic way to do business and stay integral. Now, he's not interested in how it used to be or how it was. He is only interested in how it can be, how it will be, and results that will disrupt the status quo. In this episode, he drops pure gold about the habits, strategies, and thought patterns of seven-figure entrepreneurs. So if you're ready to adopt a seven-figure mindset and make our bigger impact, scale your business, and create a lasting legacy in your industry, then you don't want to miss this powerful conversation. Strap in, open your mind, and step into the world of seven-figure thinking with the inspiring Gerald Bird right here on the Liberated CEO Experience. All right, all right, all right. So welcome again to our Liberated CEO Experience. And I've been having so much fun having amazing conversations with amazing entrepreneurs. And you've already heard the bio of the guest that I've got today. And so we're just going to have a continued conversation. And our topic today, we're focusing on three things that you need to dominate in your business, three ways that you can actually shift to a million dollar mindset. And this is so key for us to think about because everything starts with the internal. So again, we're going to have a casual conversation. We keep it 100% real. So well, Welcome, JR. I'm excited. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited as well. This has been a long time coming. And so I'm even more excited that it actually happened. Yes, yes, yes. And so listen, people talk about how people are real on the internet and all that kind of stuff. I can attest that there are people that I've connected to online and known them for years and then actually get to meet them in person. That's what's happened here. Well, we've been online connected for like how long? It's been at least 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, a long time. <laughs> yeah. So we both had other iterations of businesses and brands and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's when people people are real, people are real. And the people that are real end up staying around a lot longer. 
We're not flashes in the pants, but I'm excited to have this conversation. So one of the things like my audience will know that one of the questions that I ask my guests before we even get into the conversation is I'm always curious, what things do you want to talk about that you hardly ever get to talk about? Because there's a lot of trending things that people talk about all the time. There's a lot of buzzwords and buzz topics and hot things, but then there are those things that we kind of don't really talk about and we know they're there. And so that's what I want to dive in today. I want to talk a little bit about this mindset. And I really, really want to talk about this whole idea of hustle because you have an interesting take on that jr so you know i'm old let's just start there i'm an og and many times i don't want to claim that i still want to be young i surround myself with young people because i need them to keep me relevant to what's happening today in my heart of hearts i you know my grandmother should tell me i think you've been here before so i have a really old spirit but if you remember let me say it just like this type back in the day hustle was not a bad word yeah Hustle was what you did to provide for your family. Hustle is what you did to make sure that you got the job done. And as we've moved forward, this new generation of entrepreneurs, especially when it comes to the internet, everybody wants to carve their territory. Mm -hmm. And they carve their territory by redefining words or redefining the meaning behind how the word got to be there. And so now we're in this thing, you can't have a hustle mentality. You can't have a hustle mentality. And while I understand you can't overwork yourself till you kill yourself, you still have to have something. Uh, the old folks who are older than me would say the gumption. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to have that thing down in your soul, in your spirit, in your being that makes you get up in the morning. Yeah. So we went through this whole iteration. It was like, this is what you do to provide for your family. Then it became, this is what you do on the side, like it's a side chick. You don't want nobody to really know about it, but it's what you do to make yourself a little bit of money on the side. And then we got into overworking. Nah, 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 nah. For me, hustle, and especially as we talked about Black hustle. It really is about, are you going to work that extra 35 minutes or 45 minutes to make the deal happen? Mm. Are you going to look through your notes? Are you going to look through your contracts? Are you going to look through your agreements? Is there something that happens once you leave the stage after you've done your little song and dance number? You've had your good music and you got your lights and you got your banner. What are you going to do when you leave the stage that closes the deal and puts the money in the bank account? Mm. That for me is the hustle. It's the whole spectrum of what it takes to be an entrepreneur in today's society. Ty, we talked about this once before. It is different. I don't mean anything bad about this, but it is different to be an African-American business person in the United States doing business. We're different. We have different needs. And the consumers that we talk to are different. We got a different language. So we need to embrace that language because it's in the language. It's in our hustle. It's in our get up and go. It's in our wanting to achieve more than what we received when we were younger. That's going to make the difference in this next generation. I said this for the last five to six years, I've accomplished a lot. So for the last five or six years, I was in legacy mode. I really was thinking about what am I going to leave for my children's children? I'm not even concerned about my children. I taught them how to be business people. They'll make their own money. Mm -hmm. I want to know about these grandkids. I told my wife last night, I said, I need that Queen Elizabeth money. I need them jewels that get passed around from generation to generation that are 50 and $60 million. I need to give my grandchildren the house next to my house, but that house has 120 rooms. That's the kind of legacy and not just money, but the hustle. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to teach my kids, the hustle. Yeah. 
Well, you said something that's really interesting. I think we need to address. It's almost like an elephant in a room. You talked about being an entrepreneur. There are a lot of people that think that they're an entrepreneur or say they're an entrepreneur simply because they have a Facebook page, they have a website, or they've decided that they want to have a side business. And so now they introduce themselves as entrepreneurs, but they really don't have any skin in the game. And they're very short-term thinking that like if I sold one coaching call, I'm an entrepreneur now. And I don't know if that really fits the bill. Seth Godin goes through this whole thing and one of his teachings of the difference between being a freelancer and an entrepreneur. And it kind of boils down for him. If you're selling time Mm -hmm. for money, you're a freelancer. And no matter how you do that, it's still going to be a freelancer. If you're an entrepreneur, then you are someone who has built a business, meaning that when you walk away from the business, it still runs. Yeah. I kind of differ a little bit with that because I think everyone can have some entrepreneurship about them when they create something. But, you know, entrepreneur is someone for me who can innovate and create. Mm. I think the end of that is grow. So if I am in business and I created the business, I'm innovating in my business and I can grow the business, then I can be an entrepreneur. So level for getting into the game is low. The bar Mm -hmm. is low. I mean, in professional sports, the word professional doesn't mean you're good. It just means you got paid. Right. At the end of the day. So if you're skipping down the street and somebody pays you $10 to be a skipper down the street, you're a (laughs) professional skipper. It don't mean you're good at anything that you're doing. You just got some money for it. That's really what a pro is. So entrepreneur can be someone who at least creates something that sells and they got money for it and they Mm -hmm. put it in a bank account. Mm -hmm. Then we start talking the levels Mm. of entrepreneurship because everything that we do, let let me just walk back this for a minute. One of the things that really irks me about the society of business and just social media is this game of black and white. Mm -hmm. When the world is gray, everything is situational. Everything has some leeway in it. That's my, that's the legal side of me. That's the background. There's a loophole for everything. When we start saying you're an entrepreneur, if you make $300,000, that's situational. Right. That's situational. So if I bought a house and flipped it and made $300,000, does that make me an entrepreneur? Hmm. It's just saying, I'm not sure. Is it a business or are you just making money? Again, for me, entrepreneur is someone who creates, who innovates, who grows, who has money, who sells a product or sells something in return money they get that goes into a business bank account. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Let's go. I'm yeah, I can appreciate that. And I think this gets back to, for me, with the whole idea of hustle, right? Which is one of the mindsets I think you need to have. And it's about putting in the work, right? I think the internet and the interwebs have got a lot of people convinced if I just put something on social media and it goes viral, I'm going to make a million dollars, right? And it's all these like really surface things that we're taking a look at to identify whether somebody is successful. But what we know is that the real people that are creating long lasting success, they do have that element of hustle in terms of they're going to reach out, they're going to follow up, they're going to take all the actions that help them close bigger deals and not just the surface the stuff that looks like fun entrepreneurship. Again, there's levels to this. And I know part of what we talked about in our little our conversations that we've had is I always say that there is a turning point from being an entrepreneur to becoming a business person. Mm-hmm. There has to be a switch from being the COO of your company, that chief operations officer who is doing everything and managing everything and making sure everything's being executed properly to being CEO. 
where you're talking long-term vision. You're talking, how do I bring 20%? How do I bring 20 million to the bottom line? Mm -hmm. How do I really scale this company? Because I can grow it. I can grow any company, but can Mm -hmm. I scale it? It is not until I put strategies and systems in place that are repeatable then do I have that ability to scale? And to scale a company requires you to shift from operations to being in this chief executive officer space. And that is sometimes hard to talk to people about. I agree, because I don't know if we always know the language. And I think there's some learning elements to it. Like a lot of us who had day jobs and we're now consultants doing what we did in our day job. There's a lot of that, right? And it makes perfect sense. But you're right. It's very operations function based. It's I can do this. I can do this. But how do you start thinking like the CEO where you are taking a look at it? And one of the things I notice is it happens when people start really paying attention to the numbers. And I'm not talking about how many sales you need. It becomes, okay, what's the ROI on this marketing that we're doing? If I use ads for this, what's the return on this? Or what's the lifetime value of getting these people in the pipeline? And it's been very rare for me to find people that learn those lines of what those numbers mean for their business, which I think makes it really hard for people to shift out of that operations function. Yeah. If you don't know your numbers, you can't win. And I'm talking about the numbers for everything. You have to become a geek in the numbers or you need to hire someone who's a geek and then you need to double check their work. Yeah. And nobody in any of my businesses know more about the numbers than I do. Not even my wife. And she does most of the books. She has an accounting background. No, 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 baby. I need to look through because there are things in the numbers that are going to tell me about the health of my business. It is also going to tell me whether I'm actually making money. Yeah. CEO needs to live in the margins. And what I mean by that, you need to live in what is your profit margin? What is the margin in your expenses? What is the margins in your ROI, your return on your investment? Then you get to make healthy decisions that are not based on your emotions, that not are based on the sacred, you know, they call them sacred cows, these sacred things in your business that you just can't give up. Yeah. I am a person that deals in why. I always want to know why. What is your why? That's usually the first thing you come to my office and say to me, what is your why? Like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. What is your why? And what is your what? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then what is the goal? You got to tell me those three things. I can't help you. Because mm-hmm. if I understand your why, your underlying motivating factor, then I can find the win, the W-I-N. Mm. And when I find what that is, that's my goalpost. I can then work back the process of what it takes to get there. But if I don't know why you're doing it, you'll lose. So I tell this story often to kind of explain that. My wife, who is Jamaican, makes this phenomenal oatmeal. Girl, listen, she makes this oatmeal with the cinnamon and the brown sugar and the butter. And oh my God, it's phenomenal. Oh, I just had a flashback. (laughs) And so, and so. She makes it. She's the sugar's already in it. She gives it to me. I put sugar on top of it. So the next time she makes it, she makes it sweeter. She gives it to me. I put sugar on top of it. So the third time she brings it to me, this stuff is like molasses. And I go, why do you keep putting all this sugar in this oatmeal? It was fine the first time. She says, because you keep putting sugar on it. And so Uh I figured I didn't make it sweet enough for you. Wow. I'm going to bring it home. That's the preacher say. That's, you know, I'm going to bring it home. (laughs) My why for putting sugar on it is when I was a kid, my grandmother would put sugar on top of it. So when I eat oatmeal, I think of my grandmother and I want to relive that experience of myself as a child. 
And I like the texture of the sugar on top of it. Her putting sugar in her oatmeal and me putting sugar in oatmeal, the sugar, the sugar is the same. Mm-hmm. Our whys are different. Yeah. And so what will happen is if you don't understand the why, you'll keep making a product or a service sweeter for your customers. And that's not what they wanted. That's not the experience they wanted. Yeah. See you know what I'm saying? So if Absolutely. you don't even understand your why, you'll end up rotting your business doing stuff that does not satisfy you. Yeah. You got to yeah. know, you got to know your why. You know, that's so important. I see that all the time with people who just keep creating thing after thing after thing as if that's the thing that's going to help them scale their business. And it really isn't. You know, I mean, and listen, I get it. I'm a creative person. I love coming up with titles. And I remember I had to make a shift, right? Because as much as I love creating stuff, I don't really think my the best way to grow my business is going to make more stuff, right? It became who, like who else do I need to serve, right? Who right. can I serve bigger and in a bigger way? But it took me some time to make that shift because I was still in that. I got to do something. I got to make something else. And I think we get caught up in that trap. I think it's also about fully understanding what your business structure is going to be. As a business development guy, I really love looking at the structures of different companies. Mm -hmm. And I think what it kind of boils down to sometimes is, do you want to be Nordstrom's or do you want to be Walmart? Because those are two different, they look the same, Mm -hmm. department store with stuff in it, but they're two different business models. They're two different business structures to it. In Walmart, my goal is to give you the cheapest price and the things you can't find in a whole lot of places. Really quick. Boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. And you're always going to find that one product in this store. I'm the place you go where you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. Except our store doesn't have any jelly beans anymore. And that makes me mad. (laughs) Nordstrom's is serving a whole different thing. It's going to be exclusive. You're not going to find everybody in Nordstrom's. I still got a lot of stuff but I'm not going to have the same stuff you find in Walmart. And as a business owner, you have to make those kinds of determinations. Mm -hmm. Do I want to serve everybody or do I want to serve a few? That's always a good start. Yeah. Am I called? And I say this to pastors because, you know, I got a lot of pastors in my client base. There's a part in the Bible where they talk about I'm the shepherd. And I have to ask them, like, who are you called to? Because you're not called to everybody. You might have grace to serve a lot of different people, but those are always going to be fringe people. Who do you have that heart to serve? And I think that translates back into business. Again, what is your why? What is motivating you to do what you do? I create a lot of products because it makes me happy. It doesn't make my bottom line happy. And so I have to make changes in my business structure Mm -hmm. as to what is going to be what I do for fun. And then what do I do for money? What do I do that grows the business? I also have to be able to find the pipeline Mm -hmm. because if my mind is not being stimulated and I'm not being creative somewhere, I can't be stimulated and creative in the business. And so I have to tell sometimes this project has to stay. I know it doesn't turn an ROI, but it turns an ROI in me. Yeah. And that's values-based, right? You know, um, one of the exercises I did a while ago with one of my mentors was we took a look at what are the values and every day we need to be hitting those values in order for our days to be full, even if it's not a monetary thing, because there's that internal resource that has to be fueled, right? So I get that. But you talk about something I think is really interesting and it goes back to decision-making. I think people to be successful in business long-term, you have to be decisive. And that whole idea of trying to serve everybody 
is one of the big things that I see people that are not making a decision about it, right? And so it causes all kind of havoc when they're trying to grow their business because they simply are not able to make a decision. And I've said this to so many clients, you got to put your big girl panties on and just make a decision. Everybody is not for you and you're not for everybody, but we're afraid of that sometimes. Do you have any idea where that comes from, where we always have this feeling like we have to be for everybody, we have to serve everybody? I think there's two sides of it. I think there's the side that says, I want everyone to like me. It is a tension. It is also your own self-image of who you are. As humans, I don't think we like the word no. We don't want to be the person who is unliked. Everybody wants to be the most liked person in the schoolhouse. There even is a subdivision of that. Everyone thinks that the person who is most liked is most successful. Hmm. So we strive to be that person because we think the more people that like us, the more successful we will be. Interesting. The other side of that is greed. It's greed. And Hmm. it's not even a good business sense. It's a greed sense. It is a running after money. If I believe that women buy my product, then if men buy my product, that's twice as many people and we're going to sell more. If I sell it to black people, that's one segment. But if I sell it to white people, that's a whole nother. I can get more money now. And so we start chasing this dream of the more people we serve, then the more money we will make. Hmm. But then that goes back to what is your business structure? Hmm. Are you trying to make money off of quantity? Are you trying to make money off of quality? Mm. And not to say that you can't have quantity and quality in the same place. It's usually rare. Mm. The Chinese business model of Alibaba is serving as many people as possible. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're always going to get the most quality product. You get enough to satisfy that particular customer. And so this whole thing about wanting everybody to like us, or we wanting to sell to everyone, the attention, the self-image, the being like successful. But I really think it's a greed part because usually when we have this conversation with our clients, it really is about, I think everybody can use this. Well, everybody can. Sir, 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 let me tell you right now, you're trying to sell me a hammer. I know right now, I don't care what kind of hammer it is. I'm not building nothing, (laughs) not nothing. Because that's just not me. A lot of marketers use that. You're trying to sell chocolate to a vanilla lover. And if I like vanilla, I might buy your chocolate, but I'm not going to buy a lot. of. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I always think about that, you know, from a marketing standpoint, because that's what we do. I always will ask my clients, well, you don't even have the budget to market to everybody. And even if you did have some budget to market to more people, you don't have the bandwidth to serve all of those people. So it doesn't do, it's not in anyone's highest good for you to say that you can market and sell to everybody because you just reality, you can't, and you can't, like you can't market to them and you can't serve them at the same time. So, you know, there's that side of it, but I think it goes back to that whole idea about, are you able to make decisions in your business? And I'm curious, when you take a look at the success that you've had, What are some of the decisions early on that helped you lay a foundation for the success that you have right now? Discipline is the key. Disciplined and focused, I make the most money. Okay. That's one. So learning to be disciplined was the first thing. And it was hard. Again, I'm a creative. And so I like to play by that rule. I am a creative and I'm a procrastinator and I'm a perfectionist. That's the three worst things to do to be a business person. So Mm -hmm. I have the split personality of 
there are times when I'm business, other time I'm that other side. So when I learned to tame my inner creature, Mm. that was my first decision that made sense. My second one that I think made the most was understanding that marketing has two major parts of it. Marketing is to compel people to you and to repel those who are not your best clients. Yeah. When I learned to live in the repel side of my marketing, mm-hmm. that was that, that was a turning point. When I really embraced that, I know everyone's not going to raise their hand for this product. And in fact, those who have the most hate on this, like you really just saved me money. You saved me money. I don't need you. I love that. The third decision is there's a book by Andy Stanley called Choosing the Cheap. The premise of this is really about work-life balance. It is, you know, if you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so I lived that for so many years. Mm. Every time you ask me, like when you ask me, can you do that podcast? I'm going to say yes to this, but I have to have a mental calculation of what I'm saying no to. What could I be doing in this hour of talking to you? And then have a measurement of that ROI, because whenever I say yes, I'm saying no. So my yes creates a no responsibility. Mm. I now know that whatever work I was going to do at this time has to be pushed, has to be moved, has to be delegated. It's a responsibility. Mm. So if my yes creates a no, my no has to create a yes. Yeah. It's when I jump to that side. Mm-hmm. Now I say no more than I say yes, because when I say no, I can create a yes opportunity. Mm-hmm. My yes creates a no responsibility, but my no creates a yes opportunity. I love that. What's the name of that book again? It's called Choosing to Cheat. Choosing uh, to Cheat? Choosing to Cheat by oh. Andy Stanley. Is it cheat or chi? Cheat. C-H-E-A-T, choosing to cheat. Okay, interesting, choosing to cheat. I like that. I'm going to have to add that to my collection. It was like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because every decision you make, there is, you know, there's a contrary part of that. Mm -hmm. And are you willing to handle what your decision is going to do? Right. And okay, So, and if I had to go to the third one, if I had to go to the third one, and I learned this very early with kids, I have five boys. Okay. Um, all grown now. (laughs) I give myself grace to change my mind mm. when I have more information. Yeah. I give myself grace to change my mind when I have more information. And I tell my kids, I did a podcast once before and they were like, you said something one time on Facebook that I thought was the craziest thing, but it was so cool. I set aside the money for my children's therapy because mm. I know I did something wrong. <laughs> so I have money set aside. So mm-hmm. when they want to go and get therapy for something I did while they were a child, I, I got you. I got you. I told them this is a kid. We'll work on this later. Mm-hmm. But I have limited knowledge as a young Black man in America with right. kids. I don't know at all. But as right. I grow, I learn more and I can make different changes. The world changes. I have to change. So yeah. I give myself the grace to say, I know I said that yesterday, but today we're doing this because between yesterday and today, I have more information. I have new knowledge. I have new skill set. We are changing our minds. I'm not hypocritical. I'm not vacillating. I have the ability to change my mind given new information. 
Wow, that's really powerful. I mean, this is, I guess, a little off topic, but I'm so fascinated by that because, you know, in our culture, we don't do that. Like parents don't apologize. Parents don't say that they made a mistake. A lot of parents don't hold that. We're not taught that. We don't see that a lot from parents, right? It was, you do as I say, not as I do. And that's just how it is. And da, 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 da. So I'm really curious, where does that come from for you? That nurture? Because that's a very nurturing thing to do for your children. So where does that come from? I don't know. Um, (laughs) I think for me, I am a thinker. Mm. I'm empathetic. Those are two gifts I have. And I'm analytical. And so I never, I shouldn't say never. It's very hard for me to have a one side of the discussion. I think in order to be a great debater, you have to be able to debate the opposite side of it. And because I can live in the opposite side of my argument, it allows me to see their side of stuff. It also allows me to see when I'm wrong. And that's also part of that perfectionist piece. Like I'm always trying to perfect me. Hmm. And because I'm trying to perfect me, it allows me to see when I'm wrong. Now, don't get, now, now, please understand this. I'll tell my kids in a heartbeat. I will apologize. By no means do I owe you one, at least until you're 18. I'm still the dad. I'm never your best friend. This house has a hierarchy. I had an argument with one lady before and she was like, so you treat your kids like second-class citizens? I treat my kids, they are not citizens because if they do something wrong, I go to jail. Right. So therefore you don't get the same rights as everyone else. You are my children. And as you grow, I learn to then move from being dad and taskmaster to advisor, mm-hmm. or I move into teacher mode. I need you to tell me what do you need from me now? Mm-hmm. And then I'll give you that. Again, I have no problems with telling anybody I'm sorry, but it goes back to that. It really goes back to, to that grace, that part I say, I give myself grace to change yeah. my mind. Yeah. And so because I'm not stuck in any decision, I'm not stuck in the rigidity of Mm -hmm. anything that we're doing, it has to be flexible. I mean, there are some things that I won't compromise on, but we can have a discussion about it. Again, the legal field, working in the legal field, you have to approach a contract or you have to approach litigation or any situation, understanding that gray and also understanding the situation and how that can change even how that law is applied. There is no law that is really cut and dry. Mm. A judge forms an opinion based on how the story is told. And then when you add to that, the marketing side of what we do, yeah. we control and we, and I'm gonna say it, we manipulate people by the words we choose to create the scenario or the effect we want to. Mm. If you don't believe me, go look at an article where someone has already given you the headline and has already given you the narrative that they want you to understand. So in Great Britain right now, the narrative is Meghan has destroyed the royal family. And so the article tells you the headline, you know, Meghan shot the queen in the back. She did. Oh my God. See, Meghan, you already have formed these opinions before you ever read the information. Once you read the information, you find out that the shot was in badminton and that Megan was throwing the ball that way and the wind came. Oh, oh, more information means I can change my mind. But you've already created that. Mm-hmm. So when you start to understand that there's grays, that there are a whole bunch of narratives and you can live in a debate on both sides of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm a nurturer. I try not to be, you know, that's unmasculine. Um, (laughs) But I also, you know, I also haven't been brought up by mostly women. Uh I have a really good understanding of my feminine side, if you will. And I don't run from it because I, you know, the one thing my mother taught me and my grandmother is I am who I am. Mm. You're not really going to change me. And so I have a good understanding of my own self. Mm. And so my masculinity is not going to be defined by what I do. It's going to be defined by how I provide. It's going to be defined by how I lead. It's going to be defined, again, by the legacy I leave my children's children. That's how I define my masculinity. And that's how I taught my sons. So we're off the beaten path, but I think it works for business. I think it works uh-huh. for business. So people often talk about a man doesn't cry. And so I grew up telling my sons, all right, suck it up, pull it in, stop that. You can't cry. Not now. But the key was, is not, you can't cry. You just can't cry now. Mm. And the reason for that is I had to teach them how to survive. Okay. If you're going to be the protector of your family mm-hmm. and the protector of your business, and I talk to the females now, if you're the protector of your business, you can't see the enemy coming when you're crying. Interesting. You can't fight in the battle if you have tears in your eyes. Mm-hmm. So you have to find the time to go somewhere and cry Mm. when you're protected, when you have the ability to let your hair down. Mm -hmm. But again, that's relationship, but that's also business. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about this whole, you know, masculinity, femininity, and, and how this breaks down into our businesses, right? So I know for a lot of women entrepreneurs, we prefer to work with other women entrepreneurs. And I'm curious about your client base. Do you work with a lot of women? Do you work with a lot of men? Does it seem to matter in how you market when it comes to who you attract? It's quite interesting. It's it's quite interesting. The majority of my VIP clients, like my top, top clients are men. Mm -hmm. The people who follow me, though, on my social media platforms and everywhere else, the people that I do the most mentoring to Mm -hmm. are all women. Interesting. A part of marketing, again, so that biblical reference is your sheep will know your voice. So I often teach people that your voice, what you say, what you do, how you present yourself in your Mm -hmm. marketing, but what you say on the internet is what attracts your clients. Mm -hmm. It attracts your sheep. You're the shepherd. They'll hear your voice. They'll come to you. I tell my pastors, the reason you're frustrated is because you have a lot of goats in your congregation. I'll say this to my business people. You have a lot of goats that are not really part of your herd. They're hangers on. They're eating up the food. They're an invasive species in your ecosystem. So what I had to come to the understanding was my voice attracts women. Mm -hmm. My strategies, though, attract men. Got it. So let me ask a question about that. So for those people that are attracting goats, because there's a lot of that, and I see this all the time. And what we liken to, we liken marketing to like dating, right? And so we'll tell people all the time, listen, just because the guys that are coming up to you don't have any jobs and don't have any like future plans, does that mean you just keep accepting them as dates? No. But what I see online and with a lot of people is they just accept anybody that comes into them. They accept the goats. So for those people that are constantly being bombarded by goats, 
Like, what would you be your recommendation so that they start attracting the real sheep? So if all you attract are goats, one, you may need to realize that you're a goat herder and not a sheep herder. Mm. If you want to attract a different clientele, you either have to change your product or service, or you have to change how you tell the story. Yeah. Your narrative, the words that you use, the bait that you're using is attracting trout. If you want bass, you have to change the bait. Yeah. You might have to go to a different side of the lake. Mm -hmm. You might have to go to a different side of the boat. Or you may, again, have to just realize that I'm a trout fisherman. That's what I do best. Mm. And for me, I was trying to be Michael Hyatt. I really was trying for a long time in my business to attract this huge male clientele. A lot of people I work with are CEOs and leaders. And so, you know, that unconscious bias is that the only people who can be bosses are men. That was prevalent in how I saw who my demographic was. But I had to go back and look and say, oh, no, no, no. This is who you're attracting. So, you know, are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, listen, females got money too. I mean, listen, I understand that they're decision makers too. I have to change at times how I speak to mm -hmm. them because I'm dealing with different emotional makeup. And that doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It's just, I have to understand my language right. when I talk to them. I have to understand that there are privileges I have in a boardroom, even though I'm disadvantaged as a black man in a boardroom, but there are privileges that I have. I don't have to worry about, do I wear pearls and are my pearls making me feel, you know, do I seem like I'm not as strong? What color do I put on my lips? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have, I don't deal with that. I'm worried about, do I have them on my power tie? Mm. Not if I wear a blue tie, does it make me look less of a boss? And so right. I have to be cognizant that there's some privileges that I just can't make an assumption because of, of my upbringing or who I am as a man in business. So outside of that, yeah, if you're trying to change from goats to, to sheep, it really boils down to those three things. Either you have to understand that you're a goat herder and be okay with that and serve them the best you can, because I'm sure they have some money. You just got to find out where it is. Uh, <laughs> Or two, you need to change product or service because what you're offering them is not right. Or three, how you're offering is not yeah. correct. Yeah, we see that the messaging is off. I was talking to somebody the other day. I'm like, are you talking about you want to serve six-figure entrepreneurs, but you're talking about how to find your first client? Yeah, that's not going to mix, right? <laughs> you got to have the message that is aligned to that audience. And a lot of times... They don't do the research to even figure out who that ideal audience is. And that's a whole other conversation that we can have. And something that we talk about in our Facebook community all the time is about doing the work to make sure you have a really good offer, really have based on who your audience is. And then also make sure you've got messaging that connects to your offer and your audience. But that's a whole structure of what we teach people how to do so that they can start building what we call a bankable business. I've had so much fun with this conversation and it's so fascinating to talk this way. You know, we talk a little bit about business. We talk a little bit about life. We talk a lot about what it takes to be successful. What advice would you give to somebody who's wanting to switch to that seven figure mindset? They want to get out of the six figures. They want to get into seven figures. What would be your one piece of advice that you would give them? Really understand your numbers. Let's break this down in two ways. Mindset wise is you have to now look at the big picture and not the small picture. As a seven-figure CEO, 
my job is to look at the broader picture of what I want to have happen. I am the thinker and not the doer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the seer and the sayer, not the operator. I see it, I say it, I write it, but I hand it off to someone else to run with it. Mm-hmm. For my biblical people, it is a scripture that says, write the vision and make it plain. Mm-hmm. We often get stuck on that. The next part of that says, so that men can grab it and run with it. Mm-hmm. When I move from the runner into to the writer of the vision, that is the mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Going from six figures to seven figures, what I did in six figures, I do in seven figures as far as implementation. I just do it bigger and broader. That's the scalability of what happens. Mm-hmm. From a practical point of view is, again, your mind, you have to shift from looking at your individual revenues and individual expenses to looking at how do you grow your bottom line. Yeah. What do you bring to the bottom line? Mm-hmm. If I look at my bottom line and I think my expenses are too high, my goal as CEO is to figure out how do we decrease the expenses and increase the revenue? Yeah. That margin in between is my only concern. Yeah. After I've had a conversation that we're going to put blue on the walls, thank you. My friend, DeShannon Dixon, who was a client, and I call her, like, she's a client mentor of mine. She does a lot of CEO training. And this is where I get a lot of my understanding of dealing with female CEOs. She has this one thing that she talks about. She calls it, don't build me a clock when all I asked for was the time. Wow. Wow. And when people come into her office and they start explaining the intricacies of the clock and why it's going to make it faster, she'll tell them, no, you're building me a clock. I don't need to know that. I just want you to tell me the time. Mm-hmm. And that is that that CEO thinking. Yeah. I don't want to know the intricacies of how it operates. I don't want to know how do you edit the video? I don't want to know this. Can I edit the video? I can. I can edit every. There's nothing in my office I can't do. Right. I can edit the video, write the video, film the video, write the song for it, track it, the whole works. You see, I got platinum albums and everything. Mm-hmm. I can do the whole creative process from start to finish. Right. When I'm CEO, I can't do it mm-hmm. because it's putting me too much in the minutia of my business. And all I need to worry about is how do I grow the bottom line? Mm-hmm. How do I grow the bottom line? Because additional revenues don't always mean additional profit. Mm-hmm. Because every revenue stream brings with its own set of expenses. And if I haven't played in that margin of what I'm doing there, Mm -hmm. I'll just be doing more, but still making the same amount of money. Yeah. So every year I try to grow my profit margin by 10% to 20%. That's what I look at. What happens in the course of the year, I don't really care about. Like, I mean, I say that kind of flippant, but like, I'm not really paying that much attention to that. Are we going to do a new product offering? Are we going to do a podcast, how to build a podcast? Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Let's talk about how much is it going to cost me? How much are we going to bring in? Right. Good. Run it. Run it for six months, then come back to me. Let's talk about what these numbers say. You know, I, I love this way of thinking because it's, you know, we get caught up into, I want to do this because I see somebody else do it, right? Or I want to get this because this. But what I hear you saying that is so important is how does it impact the bottom line? Or if we take it back to what we talked about earlier, how does it impact your why and your what, right? They're all connected, right? It all goes back to that. Does it connect to, does it support the why and the what? And if it doesn't support the why and the what, this is where you get to be a CEO and make some decisions 
about what you implement. I'm trying to tie it all together, you know, with what we've been talking about. And I think that the way you just laid it out, how you think about those things, and when you look at the numbers and you use that to make decisions, it's a brilliant connection to that whole, does it impact the why? How does it impact the why and the what? And let's make a decision based on that. Make a decision. They say fast decisions make money. You know, those are the fast decisions. It's close to the money. But I think that's a very entrepreneur look. I think that's also an entrepreneur mindset. I make a quick decision. I get to the money. I get the money. I put it in the bank. It is that next part, that business side that really helps to expand you into an Apple or Warren Buffett. What does this decision do in the immediate future? But how does this affect me long term? Mm-hmm. And is there an exit for me if this is not the right road? Yeah. Have I looked at the map of my business to say, oh, I have an exit ramp so we can run with this? But we can't. So I tell the story. We're probably almost out of time. When I first moved to North Carolina from Connecticut, I bought my first house because it had fruit trees in the back. And I thought, wow, this is wonderful. I'm going to get some fruit trees. I'm going to get some fruit trees. What I noticed is that the fruit on the bottom was easy to get to. And so I picked those fruit, right? Because they were easy to get to. Here's what happened. The fruit, the low hanging fruit is often sweet. And so the first thing that happens, if you only eat and gorge yourself on low-hanging fruit, you will eventually rot your business. Mm. It's too sweet. Secondly, the really good fruit is up higher, but it requires you to climb. And in climbing, you exercise and therefore don't get as fat. Mm. You can structure your business in such a way that you are gorging on low-hanging, super sweet fruit. But eventually, when it comes down to it, you have cavities, Mm -hmm. you have obesity, and you have a business that can't survive because business is a marathon Mm -hmm. and you can't run the marathon on quick sugar highs. So that is what happens. You spend all your time. There was another thing that happened in that is the first year I picked all the fruit, right? Uh And then the second year, no fruit grew. So I got nervous. Mm -hmm. Year three, I didn't pick any fruit. So then the worms and Mm. and the bees all rotted the fruit on the tree. Wow. Here's what's crazy. On year four, right, the fruit grew, but it grew with the larvae already in it. What I learned is I have to learn how to harvest what I plant. Yeah. If not, I'll start to grow products and services in my business that already grow it rot in it. Wow. That's deep. You're such a pastor. (laughs) You're such a pastor. I feel like I'm in church. I love it. I love it. I love it. I I have loved this conversation. This has been so much fun, but I knew it was going to be fun. I want to wrap up by asking you a question I'm asking everybody that we talk to. What does liberation mean to you? Like this name is Liberated CEO Experience. And it's all about, for me, it's about how do we create a business that's permissionless, right? We're like, we're not asking people for permission. We're showing up as who we are and we've got the liberation to do what we want to as entrepreneurs and CEOs. So what does that mean to you to be a liberated CEO? Liberation is about freedom. When we liberate a country, we basically set them free. And so you have to have a business that you are not a prisoner of war, where you are not a prisoner of your business. Mm. That doesn't mean that you can't work while you're on vacation. It just means that you're free to go on vacation. 
One of the greatest things that I, I see, because I always try to be grateful for, for small things. And you've probably seen me on Facebook say, today I did payroll and I paid all my bills. And I remember when I couldn't. That is liberation to me. Mm. That is the freedom, the freedom to go to the store last night and pick up lobster tail and pass a credit card and not worry about whether or not the credit card passed mm. or cleared or was approved. Yeah. That's liberation for me because I remember when. I remember when there are things in my business that I wanted but couldn't get. Mm -hmm. So liberation for me is that. That's a side. You know, I'm always, you know, now you to call me past. I feel like I had three points on everything. That's a piece of it. <laughs> the other part of liberation is not monetary. It's not economic. It is mental and emotional. Mm -hmm. Liberated CEO means that when I get to go to work, I don't have to. Liberated means I have been freed from the opinions of people. I had to fix that because the way I said it in my head, I said it how I said it in my head. I am freed from people who can't even afford me. Mm. I heard Perry Noble, who was a pastor, say, why are you afraid when you're in a jet flying over someone who is shooting at you from the ground with a slingshot? Wow. That's liberation to me. Is my mind free? Yeah. Can I decide today that I'm going to sit down and I'm going to play my piano, which is now next to my desk, and I'm going to play that for an hour? Mm. That's liberation. That freedom, the mental part, am I free to think? Am I free to innovate? Am I free to love? Mm. Not just the people around me, but the business I'm in. And I think for me as the OG, or I consider that, am I free now from competition? Mm. in my mind and business that I can now take what I've learned and give it to other people. That's liberation. That's liberation. Can I pass this down? And so I have people that I mentor. My wife is like, is she paying you? No, she's not. paying. <laughs> she's not paying me. She's not paying me. And I don't need her to pay me. Mm -hmm. I need her business to move to seven figures. That's my payment. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I need. That's liberation. Yeah. I've paved this way as other people have paved it for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have to do that. And if I don't do that, if I don't tithe that 10% of my knowledge base to other people, mm -hmm. I can't grow. There's no room. And so liberation is really that I can afford what I want to afford. My affirmation every morning is I have all the money I need for the things I want. Mm -hmm. And when I tell it to come to me, it will. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Wow. I have loved, loved, loved this conversation. For those of you who are listening, you can find information about JR and his businesses and the way he wants to be contacted. You can find all of that in our show notes. It has been an honor and a pleasure to hang out with you. <laughs> I, <laughs> the honor was all mine, I promise you. <laughs> oh, man, this is so much fun. So there's more conversations to come, more good stuff to come. And thank you so much for being a part of the Liberated CEO Experience. Thanks for hanging out with us for today's episode. Check the show notes at tygoodwin.com for links and resources. And be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you found value in this episode, please leave us a rating. Until next time, be brilliant, be bankable, and show up like a boss in your life and your business.